sharing is caring, pass on the word to a friend. This and other exceptional podcasts can be found at travmarketmedia.com. Hi, it's Megan, host of Travel Radio Podcast, a proud member of the Trav Market Media Podcast Network. Would you take a moment now to like, subscribe, and review the podcast? You can also reach me at info at travelradiopodcast.com, or you could reach the network at travmarketmedia.com. Travel professional or aspiring professional traveler, I'm so thankful you tuned in. Now, let's dig into where our ears will travel today. Hello, and welcome to Travel Radio Podcast. I am your host, Megan Chapa, except for today, we're going to have a takeover, and really leading the conversation is a favorite guest of mine, David Weinsack. David, welcome. Thank you so much, Megan. It's great to be back um, from not-so-sunny Edinburgh at the moment. It's not so bad to be in lockdown when it's only 12 degrees out in the middle of summer. It makes it easier. <laughs> oh, well, here's a secret. As soon as we're done this and I pick my kids up from school, we're actually driving to Craig Terra. It's south of Glasgow. So, oh, you got me there. So, a place I don't know. Ooh, yes, all right. we're pointed up there, and there, there are some ruins there, so I'll... I'll uh, send you some pics along the way. But for people who don't know you, you have an interesting backstory and interesting, you know, things that you do. So would you give people an, an overview of David and what David does? And uh, because they might not have heard our back episodes, but maybe once they hear it, they will want to listen. So please introduce yourself. Sure. Oh, God, what does David do? Depends on the day, really. Um, you know, I wear many, many hats. Um, one of those is as uh, the castle hunter, which is just sort of a fun uh, moniker I came up with a couple of years back um, that I use for when I'm out exploring uh, Scottish castles and ruins. And that's what I use on my social media profiles. So Twitter and Instagram, all that good stuff. It's the castle hunter. Um, basically, at the end of the day, what I do is I tell stories about Scottish history and I try to sort of extract what I think would be interesting, not just to academics and specialists, although them too, but also to people who might just be encountering Scotland for the first time, um, but want something a bit unconventional. Um, mm -hmm. So the way I express that is through doing, uh, you know, podcasts um, like this one, through articles with publications like the Scots Magazine um, and the Scottish Banner, um, and the occasional uh, bit of video presenting as well, where I get to sort of do the uh, discount BBC thing and stand in front of a castle and, uh, you know, talk in, uh, you know, with windswept hair about history, which is good, always good fun. So that's sort of essentially what I do, is I bring Scottish history to life for people through all kinds of uh, digital and print mediums. That is awesome. And would you tell a little bit about your most recent, well, not your most recent, but maybe the um, the book that you most recently put out? Yeah, this is a great example of that because I'm a big believer in the idea that uh, pop culture is a really good way to get people thinking about history. Um, and so the book that came out in 2019 through uh, Pen and Sword Books um, is The History Behind Game of Thrones, The North Remembers. Um, and that basically came about when, you know, I was watching, I think I, you know, got to around, it was around season six at the time where I started seriously thinking about putting a book together. Mm -hmm. And there were just so many scenes where I would literally stand up, you know, in the, in the middle of an episode or in the middle of a scene and be like, oh my gosh, that is excellent. Y or Z from, you know, Scottish history. Those are cup and ring marks on the walls of the caves underneath mm -hmm. dragons. 
backbone, um, you know, coming up with historical analogies. Because I think actually a lot of people probably encounter history um, for the first time in their lives through stories and through fiction. And so what better way to sort of continue people's fascination with it um, than tying real history to fictional and fantastical events? So that's basically the idea. And, um, you know, that's what I hope to share with you a little bit today as well. I'm not necessarily Game of Thronesy stuff, but um, just the, the quite wondrous places which are really sort of hiding right under our nose here in Edinburgh, um, which you probably won't be able to find in any um, sort of mainstream tourist guidebook. So I'm quite excited to share all the little hidden places that I've uh, found in my 10 years in Edinburgh with you. Yeah, I'm excited also. And for people who are listening and think that David's book is appealing, I'm trying to pressure him into doing an online like Q&A session about the book or maybe about the places or that you can just kind of rifle off questions to David so he can tell you what he knows. And it's a great book. So uh, anyway, that's if you want to pressure him into doing that, you just send him a little email. All his contact information is going to be in the show notes. So you'll find it. <laughs> pressure me to talk about Scottish history and Game of Thrones. That's going to be really hard. You Hashtag know that. done. Yeah. <laughs> okay, David, let's take over. I mean, let's let you take over. Let's talk about the fringes of Edinburgh. Where should we go to, you know, people might be nervous to go to a city center right now. Yes. So where, I mean, there's still lots worth exploring that's not in the congested downtown area. Where should we start? We'll be right back. A quick message from our sponsor. Yeah, in fact, you know, I think one of the things that's coming out of the, of the last couple months um, from places which are very popular with visitors, and Edinburgh is, you know, one of the sort of most famous, most romanticized cities in the entire world. We get hundreds of thousands, millions of visitors every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy when you get to Edinburgh to sort of stick to the main landmarks. And there are so many of them. I mean, Edinburgh is truly a monumental city if ever there was one. We've got a thousand-year-old castle on the top of an extinct volcano. Or, you know, we've got a palace where, uh, you know, Mary Queen of Scots hung out and where her accomplice was murdered in her arms and where high drama unfolded. Uh, we've got seven hills around us, each one with its own unique story. So don't get me wrong, there is tons and tons to do in the city centre. That is absolutely fascinating. But Something emerging from, as say, the last few months um, is really relishing some of the uh, the smaller moments and the lesser known places. Mm. And one thing that a lot of people in Scotland in particular are becoming increasingly keen on is getting people to consider traveling in a bit of a different way. Yep. Uh, I think travel um, for a while now has become quite focused on fitting in as much as you possibly can um, and, you know, not so much taking the slower experiences and letting things develop organically. And I know there's always a risk to be taken in that sense. Um, if you go to the guaranteed, um, you know, wow places, then you are guaranteed a wow, right? Fair <laughs> enough. Um, but, uh, you know, what I'd like to encourage people to do is, you know, when you're traveling, don't think about your Instagram feed. Think about the memories you're going to make out of it. And when I look back on um, my travels throughout Scotland, um, which are quite extensive now, I've visited over 400 castles in Scotland. I've been to more or less every nook and cranny of the country, aside from Shetland. Um, and I'm really wanting to get to Shetland <laughs> probably next year. Um, it, it's the moments where, you know, I just went out for a walk and found something I wasn't expecting 
caught a sunset from a hill that I had never climbed before and just sat there for an hour or two and really drank it in. At the end of the day, that's the stuff that I look back on and have the clearest, most vivid memories of. So that's what I would like to share with you guys. So we're going to be a bit unconventional here. We're going to go to some places that, um, as I say, you probably you know won't find on a lot of tourist maps. Um, and that's exactly the point. I want to give you room to breathe, room to contemplate, room to really drink in all the wonders that uh, the city and the surrounds have. So what better place to start than somewhere I might actually end up going later today, in okay. fact. Great. Uh, my dog, Calvin, because um, he's getting increasingly adventurous. He likes going down to beaches now, loves the water. So um, Cramond, uh, village and island, is the place I'd like to start. Great. Um, Cramond is only about four miles west of the city center. Um, it's very easily accessible um, by cycling. If you're determined, you could walk it. Um, public transport connections are great as well. And it's really representative of one of the best aspects of Edinburgh, which is that village feel. You know, Edinburgh is a medium-sized city, about 450,000 people, which I know, you know, for many people sounds tiny. Um, but um, it really maintains a village feel throughout. And Cramond's a great example of that. It's right down by the waters of the, and I know this is a tongue twister, um, and I think I've had sufficient coffee now, but the Firth of Forth. So <laughs> you can try, try saying that aloud, you know, after a few drams it becomes increasingly difficult but the Firth of Forth um, is the body of water that flanks Edinburgh to the north um, so it's great for um, getting a bit of beach in the water is cold it is Scotland after all um, but it is beautiful um, and there's actually a tidal island down in Cramond and uh -huh. at low tide um, you can walk across this narrow causeway and get out to this island which was inhabited um, for thousands of years it was fortified by the Romans and you get spectacular views um, as far away as the iconic um, UNESCO World Heritage Sites of the uh, Fourth Rail Bridge um, so it's great for really getting a sense of space Hmm. That's great. Um, so I was going to get into what is the Firth of Forth, but you did it because, you know, you know what I was going to ask. So I, perfect. I it's, also a, it's also a Genesis song from the <laughs> Gabriel days, I'm pretty sure, it's Firth of Forth. My dad always reminds me of that every time uh, I bring up the Firth of Forth. Oh, like Genesis. Yeah, Dad, like Genesis. <laughs> so is that beach um, dog-friendly dog all year? It is, yeah. Um, in fact, there was a, a really sort of – this brings up a, a little debate, actually. Um, it's very dog-friendly. Um, and there was a, an article in The Scotsman yesterday which was talking about um, places in Scotland you can go to and rent out with private beaches which caused a bit of an uproar because there's no such thing as a private beach in Scotland. Hmm. Um, we have this wonderful thing called the right to roam and the shoreline is uh, sort of you know public land. Um, so you don't have to worry um, anywhere, absolutely anywhere in Scotland uh, about straying on to a private beach and being asked to move on. Um, they are there for everyone to enjoy. Hmm. Um, and anytime I go down to Cramond, um, which I've done a few times lately with Calvin the Pup, um, there have been tons of dogs running around, just so happy to be chasing seagulls and, you know, <laughs> eating crab legs, which I try to stop them from doing, but 
so it, it's a wonderful space to, to go um, with some furry companions, definitely. Um, but for the history lover as well, there's tons down there. I mean, Cram and uh, Kirkyard, and Kirkyard, if you're not familiar with the term, it's a churchyard. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk in Scots um, is church. It's K-I-R-K, like the guy's name. Um, so there's Cram and Kirkyard, um, which on its grounds has numerous really beautiful gravestones with uh, fantastic carvings of skulls and hourglasses. It's a bit macabre, admittedly. Um, <laughs> but there's also the foundations of a Roman fort. And just on the other side of the River Amund, which is spelled like almond, but it's pronounced Amund, okay. uh, is a really cool place called Eagle Rock. Mm. Um, and what it is, is it's a carving of an eagle um, etched into this sort of coastal rock, um, which was probably done by bored legionaries from the fort nearby. Hmm. You know, OK, we got to go on patrol in the same spot again. Right. Let's just skive, um, head to that rock, um, you know, spend a few hours whittling away. Um, and the result is a bit of a, a weather worn, admittedly, but undoubtedly the image of an eagle looking out over the waters of the Firth of Forth. So I just think it's kind of cool to go somewhere like that and know that you're in the footsteps of, um, you know, Roman legionaries marching to the northernmost frontier of their empire. Mm. But it's also, it's this grand drama, but it's also a bit of a mundane moment where you can imagine these guys just sort of, you know, putting their shields down on the sand and going, all right, let's kick back, relax, catch make a bit of graffiti it humanizes them which at the end of the day is something that history so often struggles to do yeah isn't it's interesting to be like right for for this moment like shield is down and now i'm an artist and i'm working in rock yeah, exactly. There's also there's a little sort of recess in the uh, in the rock there, and it seems to me like it could make a really good spot for a tryst as well. So I don't know if any of those soldiers maybe met up with some local lasses and went down to Eagle Rock, and that's all I'll say about that. Oh, David, that's so funny. I wouldn't look at that and think that, but you know, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got to find the romance in these places, you know. In Scotland, admittedly, it's it's easy to do that. Um, quite nearby as well um, is one of my favorite lesser-known castles in Edinburgh. It's called Loriston Castle. Okay. Um, and in normal times, you can do uh, tours of the inside of the castle, which I do absolutely recommend. Um, there's some fascinating objects in there, and you get to see um, a castle which sort of started in the 16th century and evolved through um, till the early 20th, um, and then was given over to public trust. Um, and there's also Japanese gardens on the grounds. Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, um, it's a partnership uh, with Kyoto. um, It was just meant to foster this sense of friendship. And, you know, Scotland generally is quite an internationalist, outward-looking place. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got statues in Edinburgh of, you know, Polish soldiers um, and, you know, yeah, Japanese friendship gardens, you name it. Um, So it's just another sort of mark that the world has left in Scotland and and we're all the better for it, in my opinion. Great. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, not at all. Um, And of course, there's a million and one places we could go from here. But what I thought we could do is start from the west of Edinburgh and kind of swing like a pendulum, um, going from west to the south and then off to the east. And I know tons to cover, so I'll have to keep it fairly brief. Um, But if you do, uh, listeners, have any questions about any of these places, want a bit more detail, don't be shy. Get in touch. I'm more than happy to chat history with you and give you some recommendations. Um, So one of the things that um, I only didn't discover it, but I found out about it fairly recently, only about two years ago, um, is a massive cairn 
um, yes. in a place called Newbridge. Um, Newbridge is today not the kind of place you would expect to find a megalithic monument. It is surrounded by motorways. There are delivery trucks. So, you know, lorries, of course, as they're called here, uh, you know, sort of buzzing back and forth. Um, the airport is quite close by as well. So there are regularly jets taking off and landing, you know, sort of right overhead. Um, but there in the midst of all that sort of industrial and um, sort of modern busyness, is one of the most remarkable megalithic monuments in southern Scotland. It's called Hooley Hill Cairn, H-U-L-Y Hill. Um, it's not much of a hill, uh, so the name seems a bit deceptive. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is a huge cairn, which um, is effectively an ancient burial place. Imagine a mound lined by a ring of stones. Um, and it's over 30 meters across. So we're talking a massive monument here. And if you think that you have to go to the highlands to get standing stones, there are three Three huge standing stones, at least twice as tall as me, which admittedly isn't saying much, uh, <laughs> but they are substantial, um, which are flanking this cairn. Um, but uh, it was just um, one of these kind of surreal moments, you know, sitting at the foot of this standing stone next to a cairn which has stood for you know well over three and a half thousand years, while airplanes flew overhead. It's really one of these places that makes you reflect on the course of history and makes you think, you know, how the what the familiar environments around you now will look like in millennia to come. I imagine, you know, I don't know, someone's going to be standing in the the, the shell of a suburb somewhere um, with who mm. knows what flying overhead or going on around them mm. um, going, oh, wow, who had ever thought of finding a place like this here? <laughs> you know, so no. it, People aren't, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying it speaks to sort of at once a sense of continuity and a sense of profound change. Yeah, so um, similar to this and um, slightly older uh, is Newgrange. Are you familiar with Nowth and Douth and Newgrange in Ireland? Yes, and in fact, um, Hooley Hill Cairn looks very much like a miniature version of Newgrange. It does, but, um, but you know, so we were able to go into, is it, I think Newgrange is closed. I'm not sure if we went into Nowth. I think Douth is closed. Okay. I, I'm getting them mixed up in my mind, but we were able to go uh, in uh, February right before all the lockdown happened. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, how privileged we were to be able to do this. And now who knows when people will be able to get in again. And, but it's interesting because it seems like they, you know, maybe it may be a very rudimentary one because it's so much older in Newgrange. What is Newgrange? And then the, just the inside chamber looking at, oh, Hooley Hill. Is that the name? Hooley Hill. Yes. It's so, the, the structure is so much cleaner and taller and like maybe well thought out, but maybe they had better materials to build it with. But the insides mm -hmm. are very similar when you see those stacked stones. Yes. And yeah, I just, when I think about the things that my kids have been able to do, I think, well, plan it out people because you just don't know what's going to happen. Like maybe, maybe no one gets to go into these places again. Who knows? That's so. it. You know, the, there's a lot of historic sites right now, which, um, you know, are under threat, um, which are facing closure for the foreseeable future. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, I, I think a big priority is never taking any of these places for granted because we can never truly know what's around the corner, can we?
No. Yeah, but this is so I'll I'll link some pictures to this because it's incredible. Um and I don't think it's open to the public internally, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Um and uh, to get something like that you can go inside. Um you'd have to go somewhere like Orkney um to okay. Maypal, which is much more famous. Um but yeah, Hooley Hill uh Cairn is uh sealed up so it's just sort of exterior only, um but still incredibly atmospheric. Yeah, great, great tip. Okay, sorry, let's continue. Yeah. So if we want to take our tour, uh, sort of heading south from there, you'd, um, pass by, uh, the, the Camo estate, um, which is not too far from Cramond. Um, it, it's got a really cool 19th century, uh, water tower. Uh, it feels a bit like, uh, an abandoned historical theme park is one way I've described it. <laughs> um, because you're walking through these, uh, little trails and it's like, oh, okay. It's a, it's a crumbling old mansion, you know, with the parapets sort of leaning over and then you round the corner and oh, Oh, there's a standing stone. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. And then you round the corner again, and there's a a mound with this like almost perfectly square structure atop it, which looks like a combination <laughs> of um, you know a cairn mixed with like a foreign legion fort from North Africa or something like that. It's it's a strange. Hmm. Um, and also very, very dog friendly. Um, and it's usually quite quiet as well, uh, which is a, a great advantage. I, I find when I go to these places, I, I do like to, I'm a bit greedy. I like to have them more or less to myself, you know, so I thought I'd take you to some places in this tour, which um, you know, allow for that. Um, but a great place to go, which combines history with sightseeing and the hills and landscapes are the Pentland Hills. Um, these are a range of hills just to the south of Edinburgh. Um, they are Again, very easily accessible by public transport. You can get a bus from the city centre in about 40 minutes. They'll take you to the edge of the Pentland Hills. Uh, I cycled there the other day from uh, my flat in the north end of Edinburgh, and it took me about 45 minutes to get there. Um, So very easy to get to. Uh, And once you get up sort of beyond the the first ridge of the Pentland Hills, and they're not – they're significant hills, but they're not too, too daunting. So if you're not a world-class athlete, which I'm certainly not, don't worry – um, they are very accessible. There's um, slopes and paths for all levels of fitness out in the Pentlands. But once you get over that first ridge, the city vanishes behind you. You're surrounded by valleys and reservoirs and lochens, um, and you know there's heather growing in the hills. There's even Highland coos or Highland. <laughs> called coups here um and you would not expect to find those just on the outskirts of edinburgh um so again if you think you have to go up to inverness or something in order to get highland coups um you know there's a whole herd of them um not five miles from where i'm sitting in the city center of edinburgh right now i do love them i just i do Oh, they're with the little emo fringes and everything. I know they're adorable. Oh yeah, they're, I mean they're like if Ed Sheeran was a was an animal, right? Like they're just like cool hanging out. That. That's the perfect description. They are <laughs> the personification of Ed Sheeran in animal form. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> they're also really placid as well. I mean, not that you should go try to pet them because, you know, safety and all that. Um, but, you know, you can walk right past them within arm's reach and they'll just be chewing on a bit of grass, not bothered in the slightest. Um, so it's kind of funny. Last time I was there, there was another group of walkers, which clearly wasn't expecting to encounter them and maybe hadn't seen Highland Coos before. Um, and they were, you know, really wary of them, trying to make their way, you know, quite far around. 
And I decided, okay, I'm going to have a bit of a laugh here. And I walked right past the queue again, within arm's reach. Mm -hmm. And these people were looking at me like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And I just sort of waved at them, gave them a smile, and kept on going. (laughs) They had a bit of a chuckle out of that. The Brits, I feel, are afraid of cows. I don't know if this is just a North American thing, but I'm not afraid of cows. But but the Brits are really wary of them. Yeah, Highland queues I've never had a problem with. I have been chased out of fields by sort of standard cattle. Um, <laughs> I've had to you know, throw my bike over a stone fence and you know leap after it and missing a you know a cow by a couple feet. That kind of thing. So um, I think it, you're right to maybe be a bit wary of regular cows here. But the Highland queues, in my experience, um, just are absolutely unbothered. It's great. Good. Okay. Good to know. But um, heading from the Pentlands, um, going just to the east, there's a place that you've probably heard of, um, but there are areas in this place which you probably haven't. Uh, this place is Roslyn. Does that ring a bell by any chance? Oh, it does. Continue. Yeah. Um, so if you have seen The Da Vinci Code um, or read it, of course, you'll be familiar with Roslyn Chapel. Um, and it's uh, rightly world famous, even um, you know beyond its Da Vinci Code connections. Um, it's a masterful work of architecture and masonry. Uh, it's got extraordinary historical connections to uh, clans like the Sinclairs, who were world travelers. It is truly a must-see place while you are in Edinburgh, and it's only... Uh, uh, about eight miles or so south of the city. So by all means, go check out Roslyn Chapel. Um, but while you're in the area, there's a little path just next to the chapel which brings you down into Roslyn Glen. Um, and Roslyn Glen is beautiful. It's wooded, um, and my favorite time of year to go there is in the autumn when all the leaves are starting to change. Um, it's just stunning at that time of year, any time of year, really. Um, there's a little uh, river or burn flowing through it, um, and there are... Uh, numerous ruins in the Glen. There is Roslyn Castle, which is almost literally a stone's throw away from the chapel. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to people who go to Roslyn, everyone goes to the chapel. Maybe one in ten end up going to see the castle, which always blows me away because it's an incredible castle. It's very precipitous. It's sort of up on this rocky crag with this great yawning archway of a bridge leading to it. And you can walk across the bridge or under the archway beneath it. Um, and then you're looking up at this great looming ruin overhead. And my favorite bit of it is around the back at a yew tree. Now, yew trees can um, can be quite old. This one is probably about five to six hundred years old. Uh, And yeah, oh, they're they're astonishing. I mean, yew trees are some of the oldest um, living things in the world. In fact, at a place called uh, Fortingal in um, Highland Perthshire, there is the Fortingal yew tree, which is quite possibly the oldest living thing on earth. Um, So they are extraordinary. Um, But there's a a story with that yew tree. Um, It probably is a bit anachronistic because the yew tree um, postdates the battle of Roslyn, but there was a, a battle in Roslyn Glen. Um, it was in 1303, and it was during the Wars of Independence when uh, the English were um, very determined to bring Scotland to heel, and these now legendary individuals like William Wallace and Robert Bruce um, were resisting them. Um, and the battle went in favor of the Scots. The Scots army was able to fight off not one but three English armies in a row in the same day. Um, and it is said that one of the English soldiers brought with him a great hound but that the hound was slain in the battle as was the soldier Hmm. and 
the angry ghost of the hound stalked the battlefield the night after it was fought and killed some of the Scots who were involved in killing its master. That's, that's dogs for you, you know, loyal, well past the end. Um, so there are stories of this hound stalking around um, this yew tree. And if you do go there, um, when the light starts to dim, it is quite a spooky place, it must mm. be said. Um, I might send you over, over an image so you can see what, uh, what I mean. Yeah, great. But yeah, absolutely. If you go to, uh, to Roslyn, check out the chapel, but you've got to see the castle. Take a walk through the glen. Um, if you hop over to the other side of the river from the chapel, there is a place called uh, Wallace's Cave. Now, there are many, many caves throughout Scotland called Wallace's Caves. Um, there are a dime a dozen, really, but this one actually has a pretty good chance of actually having been um, used at one point by William Wallace. Hmm. Uh, it's down a set of stone-cut steps, which lead um, basically along the side of this cliff, and there are quite steep sta- uh, sandstone cliffs in Roslyn Glen, um, and these stone-cut steps lead right along the side of one, um, seems almost impossible, but it's actually fairly safe. Um, and the cave itself has a carved entrance. There's a carved column inside. There's carved seats and almost stone beds. So oh, it was wow. clearly used quite intensively. Um, we can't guarantee from a historical perspective that William Wallace was there, um, but it's a really unique place. And I guarantee you, if you go there, you will have it to yourself. In all my times venturing there, I've maybe only ever seen one or two other people on that side of the river, whereas the other side with the chapel and the castle tends to be a little bit busier. Wow. Yeah, this is, these are good tips. And that's, I just think, especially for traveling with children, this is the kind of thing that they would just walk into and be like, oh my gosh, this looks yeah. like a bed. Oh my gosh. Like they're, yeah, that would be good for imagining little people. Exactly. It's the kind of place that, you know, got um, the Victorians thinking about um, the people who lived in Scotland, primarily the Picts, as these sort of fairy-like creatures, you mm-hmm. know, they, um, you know, encounter an abandoned village with these kinds of monuments in them, and they would just be absolutely in awe of the kind of societies that would create them. So if you want to fuel your imagination, it's a great place to go. And in fact, why don't we sort of swing a little bit further to the east again now? Um, because talking about, you know, if you have kids and you want to take them somewhere really, really unique, mm-hmm. I, I guarantee you they'll be interested in. Admittedly, they need to be a little bit brave for this one. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure they could do it. Um, there is a cluster of castles um, in uh, the south of Midlothian, um, quite close to the town of Gorebridge. So you can get a train down there if you're relying on public transport. That's what I've done many times. Um, the two castles are Borthwick Castle, which isn't open to the public, but you can view from the outside. And it's this massive, hulking, super thick walled tower, um, which is kind of split in two. It's almost like an H shape. And they say Hmm. that prisoners were told that they could get their freedom if they stood at the top of one side of the H and were able to leap over the gap between the two tower blocks to the other one. Oh my gosh, that's cruel. Yeah, it's about a 20 foot gap as well. So your odds aren't great and you had to do it shackled with your hands tied behind your back. Um, So would you, would you take that leap, Megan? What do you think? I mean, it depends on how abusive a situation I'm in, but the same, I think I'd probably try to figure out how to unshackle myself and like poison them or something. That's probably more my MO. Yeah. Because I'm not super athletic. I have short legs. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, 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 so maybe a different kind of plotting would be in order then. And, and just to be clear, I am not encouraging you to try jumping from one tower to the other. This is not the kid-friendly activity I had in mind. Oh, yeah, I, I would die. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but what I had in mind is closer to Crichton Castle, and that's spelled C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N. Um, Crichton Castle itself is a magnificent ruin. Um, it's a little bit of a, a taste of uh, mainland Europe in Scotland because mm-hmm. it is modeled after a lot of Italian and Spanish castles. Um, inside it, there's this diamond facade, which you find in a lot of Italian castles. Um, and there is a stable block, which has very Moorish features from, you know, typical of what you would see in the south of Spain or parts hmm. of North Africa. But just around the corner from that castle is a field. There are sheep in it usually, but remember, you've got the right to roam. So as long as you're not bothering those sheep, you know, if you have a dog, make sure to keep it on the lead, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. You're absolutely fine to go into this field. Mm -hmm. And there is a what looks like a little pit in the middle of the field. This is a souterrain. It's an Iron Age tunnel built around 2,000 years ago. And it was likely used as cool storage, basically. Um, It's the equivalent of a wine cellar, effectively. Um, And you can climb down into this souterrain. Um, As an adult, you really have to be on hands and knees to do this or you just really low down shuffling. But small kids could go in there absolutely no problem. Uh, And it's this quite dark tunnel, so do bring a flashlight, but it's perfectly safe. There's nothing in there that's dangerous there's no drops there's no um you know nowhere you can get lost or anything like that it's a fairly small tunnel um but you go straight ahead and turn left and it's kind of a t-shaped tunnel and my challenge for any kids going there is see if you can find pegasus oh because nearby the souterrain, there was a Roman fort. We don't know exactly where it was, um, but it's almost certain that they reused stones from this Roman fort in this Iron Age tunnel. And one of those stones has a depiction of Pegasus. Um, and it's just, it's on the roof. It's one of the lintel stones. Um, so if you're really keen-eyed and want a bit of a challenge, you can wander into the souterrain and try to find Pegasus. That, that's oh my, my gosh, challenge. that's why. That's um, if anyone listens and does this, I would love to see your pictures. Please send them in info at travelradiopodcast.com. That's cool. Absolutely. What I do recommend if you're going to do that is have a detailed map. So have something like an ordnance survey map, um, just because that will show you the exact location of the Sioux train in the field. Otherwise, you might end up wandering back and forth and the sheep will be looking at you like, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so a good map always um, goes, takes you the extra mile. Do you have one? I do, yeah. What I use primarily is um, just on my phone. I've got the uh, Ordnance Survey or OS Maps app, okay. um, and that gives you really close-up um, depictions of all the sort of geographical and historical features. So I'm actually, I've got my phone in front of me right now. I'm looking at the Ordnance Survey map for Roslyn Glen, and the castle is marked on there. The chapel is marked on there. Wallace's cave is marked on there. Right. Interesting topographical features are marked, um, and I think can. Not that I, you know, not uh, sponsored by them or anything. So this is not a plug, but um, I think it's 19 pounds a year for a subscription, and I use this on every single trip that I go on, so that I don't miss a thing wherever I go. It's more than worth its weight. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
I think for the experience, I would pay. Like if someone was going to guide me there, I'd pay them 19 pounds. So fine. Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Think of it that way. Um, that's, that's a good way to conceive of it. Um, and if we now sort of come back a little bit closer to Edinburgh, um, this is popping up on the map more and more, but it's still one of my very favorites. Um, and a lot of people still visit Edinburgh without knowing it even exists. A lot of people live in Edinburgh without knowing this exists. And that baffles me. It's a place called Craig Miller Castle. Okay. And it's one of the um, best preserved high medieval castles in Scotland. It's still got its curtain walls intact. It is technically a ruin, but it's in in pretty good nick as far as ruins go. Um, And you may have seen it on your screens recently because it's been used as a filming location for Outlander. Um, It was also in Outlaw King in several scenes uh, and a few other shows as well. So it's becoming a bit of a celebrity in its own right. Um, Also, um, I batted this theory around and George R. R. Martin was kind enough to um, give it his approval. Um, in my book, I talk about castles which are very similar to those castles in Westeros in Game of Thrones, which yes. you can, in fact, find in Scotland. And Craig Miller Castle is the closest castle anywhere in Britain from an architectural perspective to Winterfell, the seat of House Stark in the north. And one of the best things about it, which really gives it that um, sort of fantastical atmosphere, is when you go into the courtyard of the castle, there is yet again a yew tree. Um, And so the yew trees flank the doorways, this great wooden door that you walk through. Um, And you can just imagine, you know, Arya um, sort of practicing archery in the courtyard, Bran clambering up the branches of the yew tree. um, And... uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a really, truly magical place. I mean, it is getting more and more popular, um, so I can't guarantee that you'll have it to yourself. But again, if you're thinking of places to go with kids, with families, um, every time I go there, I see kids there, and they are having a blast because there are just endless nooks and crannies to explore. You can get yourself a foam sword and a crown at the gift shop and play king or queen of the castle. It's just a really fun place to go. I've been now at least 25 times and the first chance I get to go back, I'm going. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now and it's hard to even believe that it's a ruin. There's so much that's really intact here. So this is, you know, this is a full castle. This is cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that goes to show you that, you know, of course, there's Edinburgh Castle right in you know the middle of the city. You cannot miss it. No. Uh, but there's so many other um, equally amazing places in and around the city that are very, very easy to skip over. And I hope with, you know, sort of what I, I've walked through a bit today, and this is really just, you know, truly the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, you get a lot of there's a lot of articles out there, um, you know, a lot of content of all kinds. Um, saying things like, you know, oh, here's, you know, 10 hidden gems for when you're in Edinburgh. And it's like, number one, Arthur's seat. It's like, yeah. Edinburgh Castle. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, that's like on a mini mountain right in the center of the city and you can see it from everywhere. I think we know about Arthur's seat. So so I hope that this was, you know, truly a bit of a, um, a more unconventional walk through what the city has to offer. Um, and there's so much more. So again, um, if you have a yearning to find out more, um, if you want to uh, plan a trip to the city that takes in, um, some of these unconventional places, um, you know, I can draw up itineraries once tours start going i'd be more than happy to actually show you around as well yeah i mean david every time i talk to you it's just so inspiring like my kids this this is just so geared to the explorers children and i'm 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 saddened that 
the last several months of our lives have been so locked down that we didn't get to do the big exploration of Edinburgh that we wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, that was one of the casualties is that trip. But, you know, whatever we come back, these are just, this is the kind of thing that we like to do. We like to see the, the you know, the things of the city and we've done that once, but we also kind of like the idea of slower travel where we get to know a little bit more about the area that, and, and also to not compete with the crowds. Like I want my kids to be able to roam and me not have to worry that they're either bumping into someone or now, you know, infecting or getting infected or whatever. Um, so this is, these are great tips and I, I really appreciate your time and insight. Anna, you're very welcome. And you know, that that's what I've sort of very much had in mind to is places that, um, foster that sense of imagination, that desire to, to wander, um, but also, you know, in the current environment to stay safe as well. That's a, a big, big priority, of course. Um, and there are many places in Scotland you can go, um, you know, as things gradually start to open up again, um, which are very safe, um, where you have room to roam. Um, and, you know, all this, you know, as you say, that sort of sense of adventure, this comes from me just basically being an overgrown kid. And uh, <laughs> as I've mentioned, in, you know, previous appearances on on this podcast, you know, growing up in Canada and reading things like Lord of the Rings and, you know, Song of Ice and Fire and hearing about knights and castles and wanting to walk through those stories um, as best I can. And, you know, Edinburgh and Scotland generally is the ideal place to do that. Um, But more and more, you know, the longer I spend here, the more familiar I become with everything that Scotland has to offer, the more I really am starting to value these um, sort of lesser known, bit more uh, road less traveled type places. Um, so that that's um, you know what what I hope to to share with you today. Well, mission accomplished. And again, thank you so very much. And I'm going to put all your contact information in the show notes. If people click on your face, they can see all the episodes you've been on because they're worth listening to. And um, yeah, David, I just I hope that we get to speak again sooner than later. And I really hope you do some sort of interactive online Q&A with David Weinsock, the castle hunter, because I think that it's it would be well received and also needed. Like you're engaging and it makes me excited to travel. And if we can't travel physically, at least we can you know, get there mentally. So, uh, yeah, I just appreciate your time and thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Megan. All right. This is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying thank you for listening and check out David's website and everything he's got going on. Okay, good night or good morning. Bye. You're listening to a Trav Market Media podcast. Questions, comments, collaboration ideas? Contact us at podcasts at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcasts with an S at travmarketmedia.com.